check one two what is up everybody and welcome to the fourth episode of the locker room podcast i'm your host whitelister and today we have a very special guest first female guest and division one athlete kennedy heaven of university of tennessee chattanooga how are you you know i'm great just got out of practice beautiful day how are you doing I'm chilling, I'm chilling. Still a little sleepy, but we're going to get through it. Kennedy, just briefly introduce yourself to the audience. I'm Kennedy Heverin. I'm a freshman D1 soccer player at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Um, I'm 18 years old, and I'm from Park City, Utah. All right, perfect. Let's get right into it. Kennedy, first off, how did you get introduced to soccer? You know, I feel like... At a very young age, soccer is one of the most common sports people get into just because of the rec leagues and all of that. And it was, it was honestly very popular where like I'm from back home and, um, yeah, so the rec, I got introduced in elementary school, heard about it and my parents kind of just threw me into it, see if I liked it. I think everyone in our area pretty much played rec soccer at one point or another. Mm-hmm. It was something weird that almost everyone did, but yeah. So now you were a ski racer up until the end of high school. How'd you get introduced to ski racing? Skiing, same kind of thing coming from a ski town. That's just like a thing people did, whether it was for fun or competitive. But I, my dad threw me into ski school. Um, I was, I was pretty advanced for my age and um, the coach, my coach at that time, or my instructor, he was like, you're, or he was like chatting to my dad and asked if I'd be interested in ski racing since I, I loved going fast. I loved going down the hill. I was, I was good with my edge work. I was good with my technique, stuff like that. Um, And again, my dad kind of just threw me into it one day and fell in love with it. For sure. So then your dad's a former football player at Michigan State, right? Yeah, Central Michigan, Michigan State. Oh, okay. How did your dad develop your competitive nature, either when it came to ski racing or soccer? He He's just a very competitive person, and I'm, I'm a daddy's girl, so I, I grew up side by side with him for the most part. So I wanted to be like him. I copied most of what he did, and he was he's always just had that competitive drive, and I kind of adopted that growing up like just even with even the little small things we'd have competitions with who can eat faster who can who can read faster it's just kind of it was something small that grew up into something big and so my entire life I've just I've always had that competitive passion and I've always wanted to be the best I could always wanted to win no matter what it was so I think just growing up in a household like that really got me to where like to how competitive I am now for sure do you have any like specific stories about how your dad developed your competitive nature like a specific moment you think of not really there's so many um it's hard to think of like a specific one but I think just like starting from a young age and obviously you're born with a you're born with that kind of drive it's not it's like something that's hard to just kind of to to kind of just figure out on your own. Um, Cause me and my sister, my sister is completely different than I am. She doesn't have as much of a drive as I do when it comes to like competitiveness. So I think just like I said, growing up side by side with my dad just really helped me get to that. 
I think what it comes down to is a lot of these D1 athletes, and you can elaborate on this too, being born with a competitive nature is not something you can just develop. It's right. more something you're just born with. So exactly. obviously, like, you get that from your dad, with your dad being, you know, a former college football player. So it definitely benefits you as far as being an athlete. But what kept you interested in both skiing and soccer? Because obviously, like, if you want to play soccer at the level you are, you have to be playing pretty much year-round. So how does that interact with, how did that interact with ski season growing up? So I was interested in both because they were two completely different concepts. One was a team sport and one was an individual. So I loved the individual nature of it right. where it was on me at all times. And, but I also loved the team where I could do my best, but then it was a team at the end. Like we had to come together to win and lose and tie. But I think what kept me in, I was, I was pretty good at both. Like it wasn't, I wasn't better at one than the other. So it was hard for me growing up to make that decision on which I wanted to do when I, when I got to an age where I had to pick. And the older I got, when I was, when I was just starting skiing and moving my way up year to year, it, it didn't affect soccer as much because at that time, soccer was pretty much just fall. Right. But once I hit like, I want to say end of middle school, beginning of high school, that's when things got a little trickier. Because skiing, obviously, it's a high demand of you have to be there, you have to train. Same with soccer. And I was on, for soccer, I was on a national team that traveled around the States. For That, that was our season for games. Yeah. That ended up being like in August. It started in August and would go to June. So it was harder for me because our games were majority in the winter which was the same time I was traveling every weekend for ski races. And so I didn't I didn't really get to do as much soccer during the winter just because the two schedules conflicted so much. Right. I would be going I'd I'd I would have five AM trainings at first for skiing, five AM to like two o'clock. And most of the time we'd have like a lift or a conditioning right after that. I'd get home with enough time to change, eat, take a quick nap before I'd be driving an hour down to my soccer practice, which would usually be eight or nine to like 1030. And I wouldn't be getting back home till 1130, 12. And I'd re and it would just restart again, basically. Right. So it was it was definitely really tough to manage the two sports once they got more competitive, the older I got, it was a crazy schedule for sure. Yeah, it seems like it. So you brought up playing for a national team. You played in the ECNL, right? Yep. You want to briefly explain to the audience what the ECNL is? So ECNL stands for Elite Club National Team, and there's one or two in every state. It's basically the best players in every single state on one team, and you travel regionally and nationally to for games. So for my season, it was it was regionally. So it'd be Colorado, um, Washington, Idaho, California, those kind of places, and that would be those. That was our season. We would travel there. They'd come here. We'd play around six or seven games, and then there would be th like tournaments called showcases, and that's when all the college um, recruits would be in one one tournament. Lots like you'd play everyone. Like we'd play Texas, New York, just teams all around the country. And at the same time, there were the the international coaches, the national coaches recruiting, college coaches recruiting. It was everyone there. That's basically ECNL in a nutshell. 
Um, it's a, it's obviously it's a travel team. Right. But it's the highest level you could have played at a club level before you got to college and the the national teams and stuff like that. So then you brought up playing in front of all these recruiters and coaches and the amount of talent you played with. Do you know off the top of your head how many of your starting 11 on your ECNL team are playing at the college level? So our team kind of split up um, before like my last year. So I want to say there's around, of our starting 11, I want to say nine of the 11, eight or nine of the 11 are playing at the D1 level. So very, very talented roster for sure. What was it like playing it in front of so many recruiters? Honestly, I had a blast. I love showing off in front of people. Um, I love showcasing my talent. That's it's something that just came natural to me. And I always had fun. Like I thought those were my best games playing in front of those kind of coaches. And I know some people like they get so pressured into having to do their best when those kind of coaches are there that they may not have the best games. But for me, it was like the complete opposite. Um, it, it, it was almost relaxing when I had to play in front of them because it, it just came so natural. You know, moving up into high school, you went to the winter sports school, which isn't exactly a normal high school. <laughs> <laughs> How did that affect soccer? Honestly, it helped with my soccer a lot just because so my school year obviously like you said it was not a normal school at all it was very small our every graduating class was 25 25 or less there was no more right. than 25 so it was, it was very small but our school year was april to november so we'd get the six months off a year to train and travel and, and compete and stuff like that and for me like i said i brought up earlier my soccer season was in the winter so by getting off in November, I I never had to miss school for either one of my sports, and it helped because I had not so much pressure with the school, with the skiing, with the soccer, trying to keep my grades up, trying to manage a social life too. It just it helped a lot with that aspect, just because I I got to travel and not worry about school while all my teammates were doing the homework while we were on all our trips. Right. So you didn't play high school soccer. And in your opinion, do you think high school soccer has any benefit to recruiting? I think it depends on the area um, a lot as well. Um, especially like California is like your prime recruiting for soccer. Right. For like national. That's that's their prime state to recruit from. High school, I, I do think have like it, it does have many benefits. And you can see that all across the board from different sports. I mean, for like Gatorade Player of the Year. Like there's, there's that for soccer and a lot of the people on the national team, they got that and they got looked at because of, because of those kind of accolades. And so I think it, I think it had a lot of benefit just for me. It was harder just because I, I was still doing ECNL stuff and you can't play ECNL and high school at the same time. Yeah. So it was, it was hard. I I definitely, if I could go back, I would probably want to play one or two years of high school just to get the experience of it. Just because I all you hear all around, that's like the most fun people have is high school, high school that like sports. So I do wish, and I and like I said, I do think it has many benefits um, for in the recruiting process. Like that's that's some of the stuff people look at. You get game film, you get. Um, stats, you get stuff like that where coaches want to look at. They want to get down to the nitty gritty when they're recruiting. So that kind of stuff always helps. Right. So I talked to, 
Alex Glenn, who's a goalie here at Chapman, he's from San Diego, and he brought up the importance of your coaches vouching for you when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to putting in a good word. And he said, high school coaches don't have the connections at the level that these ECNL coaches have. Right. When you started your recruiting process, how did your ECNL coach get you in contact with coaches or put in good words for you? Oh, I can't thank him enough for what he did for me, especially it was COVID time too. So it was, it was really hard over overall to get in like recruiting stages just because we couldn't play games in person. We couldn't go travel like we were usually doing. And for me, like I said, I didn't get to play that many ECNL games with my team. So it was a lot harder for me to get into the recruiting stage because I didn't have as much film as all my other teammates. But with, with the coaches, they see you at practice. They see you at your worst. They see you at your best. They see you, see you everything in between. They see your worth ethic. They can put those words in. And a coach, a soccer coach isn't just looking at, coaches in general, I should say, aren't just looking at how good you are. They're looking at, are you a team player? Are, what, is, what is your attitude when certain things arrive? Like that kind, of, that kind of stuff. And that's what your club coaches see. They see that every, every day. And so they can put in a good word and most of them do like no coach wants to give like bad things out. They're not going to, they're not going to sugarcoat it. Obviously they're going to say what things you could work on, but overall they play a huge part in the recruiting process because they see you every single day. They see your potential or not. They know, they know what's best for you. And obviously they're going to try to get you what's best for you. Yeah, that's pretty much what Alex said too. So when did you get your recruiting process started? Mine, I was later um, than all my other teammates. So I want to say mine was middle of COVID, middle to end of COVID. Okay. That's when I started my calling to coaches. And that's when I was putting myself out there, sending my emails, getting phone calls, things like that. Just trying to, just trying to figure things out, honestly. Who was the first coach to get back to you? Um, I think honestly it was the UTK coach. Okay. And then it was LSU and then University of Utah. So you picked up offers from LSU, University of Tennessee, UTC and University of Utah. What was it like having such good options, not only to play soccer, but for your education as well? Honestly, it was, it was everything I've dreamt of as a little girl. I always wanted to play at the highest level I could. Um, and as I got older, I recognized that was for me a D1 school. And so I honestly, it was like one of those proud moments where you're getting that and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is everything I've worked for. This is what all the hard work did for me. And honestly, those kind of schools are so big in women's sports. It's SEC. Those are huge schools, Pac-12 and SEC. They're, they're huge divisions. And honestly, getting my first scholarship and recruiting from that, like, just it motivated me to want to to want to be more as a player, to want to be more as a person and as a player. And they're great education schools, great, just all around, just awesome schools for education. Oh, of course. So since you got your recruiting process started a little bit later, did COVID really have any effect on it or not really? Yes, only because we, I didn't get film. So it was hard for me to send film out. Like I was using film from a year and a year before that. Okay. 
it was harder because I couldn't get recent game film like my other teammates did because they were playing right before COVID happened where I couldn't. Okay. That would, that would, that's what I would say was like the hardest in the recruiting was trying to get the game film for the coaches that were, that was pretty recent. Um, Cause no coach, obviously you get, you get better or worse year to year. So you don't, you don't want to send film out two years ago when that's not what you look like in recent time. How were you able to get coaches to respond to you when you weren't able to use film that's as recent as it was? Um, I just sent, so I, I created a list of my top 25 schools. Um, it was honestly hard because at the time I wasn't super familiar with colleges. Like it was something, it's something in high school where you're just like, Oh, like that's, that's in a few years. I don't really have to worry about it. Yeah. We all think about it. (laughs) Yeah. But like in sports, like you have to, you kind of have to create like a map if you're trying to play at a collegiate level, no matter, no matter what level you, you have to map it out. And for me, 25 schools, I thought it was going to be easy to pick from. And it ended up being so hard because my major, I am an exercise science major right now. I want to go into kinesiology. I want to be PT, AT, things like that. So I had to look at the schools that offered that major and not every school offers a great program. So I had to look into things like that. I had to look into things like, where's the area? Where's, where's a place that I see myself being for years? And, and, it, and it got harder as I, as I moved down to 5, 10, 15. It just it got harder to pick the schools. So as I was picking schools, I would send out my emails. My parents helped me create an email where I had... Um, my background information, my skiing information, and then a highlight reel. And luckily, I had enough film where I could create one. And um, it it wasn't, not every part of the film was like from two seasons ago. So it was, majority of the film was recent, which helped because then they could just see. And obviously, like I said, it's a highlight. You're not going to show like your worst moments, obviously. So uh, for me, as a forward, you show your goals, you show, um, you kind of, you show play-by-plays. They want to see if you're going to work back with the team. They want to see if you're going to defend. So those were the kind of things I had in mind. And obviously, it's going to vary player to player, position to position. But I think my dad, my dad did an excellent job putting one together, and I think that's it helped a lot when I was getting responses back because everything, every response was positive that I got back. Just and and they should be like a coach is they're not going to say oh negative 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 they're going to they're going to point out your positives and i think just overall having that film and having my skiing background information kind of interested a lot of the coaches because you don't usually hear soccer player and national level ski racer like that's that's not a combo you hear a lot so i think it just intrigued a lot of coaches and so i got a I got the emails, I got the phone calls and stuff like that. So when did you quit ski racing? Was it going into your senior year or was it after? It was going into my senior year of high school. It was harder for me that year because I was coming to an age where I had to make a decision. Um, obviously, like I had an offer where I could split my scholarship for skiing and soccer, but and I thought that was great at first. I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to keep pursuing both sports. But as I 
kind of came closer and closer to having um, to pick. I just, I knew that wasn't realistic and that would be super hard because one's off season is the other in season. And coaches love to, to show off a, like a multi-sport athlete, but in reality, they don't want to share it. They don't want to have you in one sport and you not like fully committed to the other. So it was tough, but I think tearing my ACL, I was, I tore my ACL at the end of my skiing, uh, our ski season. And I think that's the one thing that helped me make a decision that helped my decision-making a lot easier was the fact that I tore my ACL. I was like, okay, once I tore it, I was like, okay, I, I had to really think about what I really wanted in life, what I wanted to pursue, what my goals were. And I, and I was leaning more towards soccer at the end of that season anyway. So like I said, I think just tearing my ACL and really having to think about it made my decision easier. It wasn't that I didn't just, it wasn't that I lost passion for skiing. It was, I just, I loved soccer so much that that was, that's where my heart was set playing soccer in college at a D1 level. For sure. So you brought up tearing your ACL. A lot of players who, you know, have these injuries at the level an ACL tear is really puts a lot of their offers in jeopardy, depending on what sport they're playing and all that. So how did tearing your ACL affect your recruiting? Mine affected because at the time I wasn't committed to one, one college yet. I hadn't signed anything. I hadn't um, I wasn't set on a scholarship offer. So I was still open to anything and then tearing it going into my senior year, which is when you commit, that's when you sign your papers. I, I lost a bunch of offers because going, going into college, no one wants an ACL. Like that's coaches. And, and it's not, it's, it's a hard thing to grasp because it's, it's not your fault that you tear it, but coaches don't want someone that's already at risk of being injured when they could get something, when they could find someone else that's healthy already going into college and give them the money. So for me, tearing it at the time I did, it just, it was bad time. It was a bad timing type of thing. And UTK was still, they were still talking to me. Um, they were, they stepped back a little bit though, just because they're like, well, we need to reevaluate we need to see where you're at because ACL it's it's not it's not a minor injury that's one that takes a whole year to recover for me it was 11 months and you're not the same when you come back it takes a while to come back it takes a while to get your sprint back up it takes a while to get your touch back up it takes a while for a lot of different things and that was that was another thing I, I couldn't get to where I wanted to be when they saw me that second time when they saw me play I was I just that was my first game back I was slow my touch was not where it was and it and it wasn't because I wasn't working it's that's just what happens when you tear an ACL and you can and and it goes this it's the same for any sport you can ask anyone in any sport and they'll say the same it is it's so hard to come back from those and there's studies it's it's a two-year thing you're not fully healed for two years and after those two years is when you start getting back to where you were before you tore it. And I'm, and I'm just coming up and I'm coming up on my two years now. So I'm just now getting back to where I was before I tore it. So that's, it was, that's just one thing that I don't think a lot of people understand. Um, 
outside of sports, like you can look at, you'll look, people will look at it and, and like, oh, ACL, it's a serious injury. But I don't think they understand how much, how much you lose, especially in the recruiting process, if you're not fully set on one school, which I wasn't at the time. I think especially at the Division One level, where it's the top of the top, if you tear your ACL, there's so many other players that these schools could find replacements for. Right. So how did you manage to keep separating yourself from other recruits? I personally, I posted, I posted a lot of videos of my recovery. So I was posting stuff from my rehab, my, my, when I was first getting back into soccer, I was posting that kind of stuff so that the, like the coaches could kind of keep in touch with me. Um, It was, it was for myself as well. It was just kind of like, so I could keep track of it, but as I was getting more and more back into soccer, I was posting my skills, my, uh, my tricks and stuff like that. I was, I was posting videos on TikToks, like things like that to get re-looked at, which, and that's what happened. Like, that's what I did. And like last summer I was, I played for a semi-pro team just so I could get back into it. And that's, that's actually where I got recruited from. That's where, that's how I ended up at UTC because those those college coaches came and watched and then um, called me and basically said we would love to have you here um, and I was I was supposed to take a gap year like that last year was supposed to be my gap year and I was just supposed to be going into college this fall but obviously things don't go as planned that's not that that's just how life is and um, I'm grateful I got picked up for it now I'm here playing soccer so she's made it ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Yes. So let's get back to it. You brought up playing for the semi-pro team, which is the Chattanooga Lady Red Wolves, correct? Yes. All right, good. My research worked. <laughs> what was it like playing for a semi-pro team and, you know, who was mixed into it from what schools and what levels of collegiate athletics? I had a blast, to be completely honest. I was one of the youngest on the team by multiple years. So the age gap from me to like the next youngest was at least three or four years. So they had already been playing and I, I was brand new to it because I was just coming back from my ACL as well. So I used it as a means of getting back into soccer, but the level was, there were girls that came from SEC, Clemson, LSU, UTK, like places like that. It was a high level to play at. So I, I got a feeling for what D1 college was going to be like. And, and I used it to my advantage. I wanted, I wanted to get used to it. So coming into here, not, not playing a D1 at all, I, I was familiar with how the play was going to be. And some of my teammates now were on that team. So I got to, I got to make a connection with them prior to being in college. So overall it was I had so much fun. Like I said, I was treated as kind of the, the, the younger sister and I loved it um, because they held me accountable for everything. They wanted to push me as much as I wanted to push them to be better. Like the, the organization as a whole was amazing. They did a great job. We had a, we had a great season overall. So not, not bad to play um, semi-pro team for my first time. Yeah, no question about it. How well did playing for that semi-pro team prepare you to play at the D1 level? It helped It helped immensely just because I got to get used to the weather here because the weather in Tennessee is so far from the weather in Utah. So 
playing in the summer here, that was, that was a big one. Um, getting used to the weather, getting used to the different altitudes, things like that. And just playing at the speed, the high it's, it wasn't necessarily like a higher speed than what my ECNL was, but they were just more experienced. They were older girls. So they were more experienced with how to play, how to calmly play, how to play at that level. Um, so I thought playing with that and then coming into the college D1 level helped so much. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a brand new thing to me. I'd already seen it for, for four months. So I was able to jump right back into it. Mm -hmm. So you already played your first season at UTC in the fall. Mm -hmm. What was that first practice like at UTC? Honestly, it was, I think our first practice actually was um, our yo-yo test. So our, our fitness test. And then, and then obviously we did like the technical stuff right after. So it was, it was just cool to see what the players were like. Cause obviously, like I said, I had already known like four or five of them, but it was the other players that I hadn't met that I hadn't seen play before because I, I didn't really get a, a true like recruiting visit because I signed so late. They picked me up so late. So I didn't get to come and see like their practices, like other recruits get to do. So I was kind of blind going into it, but I knew that I had already been with four of the girls. So I was, I wasn't really worried about it. And so it was, it was fun. It was a lot of technical, our preseason, lots of fitness. And then we jumped into our season and it was, it was go time. It was super fun. How'd you guys do? We got first in our conference. So congratulations. Thank you. It was the first time, um, for a while that they've done it and um I I was just happy that I was I was able to be a part of that because it's it's such a special moment like for any sport even high school when you win um states it's it's the same kind of thing like you know you did it like it was just one of those you can't you're like overly happy because you did it but you know you can work harder and harder and harder and like I said before it was it's it's motivation you always want to be the best. You always want to keep because there's you don't want to be complacent. If you're complacent after something like that, then you're you're just not going to get better. Right. So that's how I always look at it. And I and I would tell my team, "Okay, we did it. Now we work. Now we work till next season. Now there's always room to be better." So it was like I said, it was super fun. I was so glad to be a part of it. I'm glad it was it was my freshman year too. So it was super Super fun moment for me. What is your favorite part about being a Division One athlete? Ooh, I would probably say the culture of it, to be completely honest. And I say that just because it's not every day you get to be a D1 athlete. People, it's, it, no, it's not everyone in the world that's a D1 athlete. So it's very special. And it's something I try not to take advantage of because I know that's not realistic for me in five years. Like I'm not going to be a D1 athlete in five years. Mm -hmm. so um I would just say the culture everyone just everyone around me is probably the best part <laughs> for sure what do you think is the biggest misconception about division one athletes I would say personally is that we like people think that we have it all and I and I struggle with this just because people don't get to really see the inside of how a d1 athlete functions they just see they see your highs and lows they don't see what's actually behind the scenes you know I've, I've talked to a bunch of people that 
aren't athletes and I asked them, I'm like, what do you think? I And I asked the same question and they said, well, we like us outsiders think you guys have it all. Like you're the, you're the top percent. There's not many of you that are getting to play D1, but a lot of them don't understand like how hard it is to be a D1 athlete every single day on top of, because our schedules, we, there's like barely enough time to breathe. It feels like half the time. Like we have 5 a.m. lifts, then we have a 9 a.m. training. Then you get like for me, I get like a split second in between, and then I have class, and then I get a, then I have to go to treatments, and then I have another class, and then I have homework, and then I still have to do stuff on my own, so I'm not being complacent, and I, I have to do rehab for injuries and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden it's 10 o'clock at night, and I'm still, and I'm still up doing homework till 12, 1 o'clock, and then my day restarts. So I think that's, that's, I just think that's one thing that a lot of people don't see is the behind, behind the scenes. Like, and you hear it all the time. A lot of the athletes struggle with mental just because of how packed our schedules are. And, and that's on top of also trying to, to manage a social life. Right. It's, and it's super hard. Like when I tell you my social battery goes dead sometimes, it's, it's so true. And I would, that's, I would just say that's a big thing that a lot of people don't see, um, as like towards a D1 athlete. How hard is it to balance school, soccer, and a social life? Oh, it's, it's hard. <laughs> like it definitely is. Um, it's super hard just because you're trying to be the best in everything. Like you, you're trying to get straight A's. You're trying to do good in school while also trying to give your 110% every single day at training and also still try to have fun because you're in college, right? Right. College life doesn't last forever. And everyone's like, and everyone always says, live your best life in college because that's, that's the most fun you'll ever have. So with being an athlete and, and you can, it goes for any level. It's hard to manage all that. It's not just a D one level. It's, it's any level. They'll say the same thing because it's the same standards you're just at different levels. You're, you need to have good grades. You need to be always like a hundred percent in practice, whether that's realistic or not. I I don't think it is because everyone has their off and on days, but it's, it's definitely some days are more of a struggle than others, but um, I think you just learn to manage it and you just kind of learn to, to go with the flow. For sure. So you brought up the fact you're a kinesiology and exercise science major. Mm -hmm. What is next for you when you're done playing soccer here at UTC? My goal has always been, um, I want to go to the next level after college. I don't want to be done with soccer after college if I can help it. Um, but that being said, if, if I do, if UTC is the end of my soccer career, I would love to go to PT school or AT school because I want to, I still want to be involved with soccer. And I think I got so interested in being an 18 and a PT because of when I tore my ACL, I, I was in rehab for 11 months straight. And I was in with my physical therapist two to three times a week. And I got to see that perspective of it. And even after I was done with my rehab, I went and worked um, in a physical therapy facility and I got to work with patients. And I, that really, kind of intrigued me and I was like this is something that I would really want to do after after soccer's done because in AT athletic trainer you're still working with sports like that that's what you do and that's what I want to be involved in 
I want to be still involved in sports, whether I'm playing, coaching, helping with rehab and stuff. So that's, I would say that's what it looks like for me afterwards to go to go to PT or AT school and become a physical therapist or an athletic trainer. Kennedy Heverin giving back to the culture. <laughs> With that being said, this concludes our episode. Kennedy, thank you so much for being here and taking the time out of your day to do this. Thank you for having me. This was this is super cool. I'm glad I got to share my insight. Of course. With that being said, Kennedy, sign us off. Hey, I'm Kennedy Heverin, and this is the locker room where sports unite us and stories inspire us. Bye, guys. Bye.